0: Hello there, and welcome to Pink Milk, where we serve Star Wars queerly. Today is someday, and someday we're talking about the rainbow capitalism of it all. Are you with me? Let's get into this thing and drink up. Hello there, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pink Milk. If you are new here, hello. If you're returning here, hello. I'm your host, Brian. Normally, my husband, Tom, is here with me. However, he's out raising our children while I am here hanging out with you. And our friend, Jake, for part two of my sit-down one-on-one convo with him. Last week, we spoke a lot about being a writer at Lucasfilm and what it was like to work on films and getting a real peek behind the curtain of what it's like to work on a Star Wars. However, today we're going to talk more about what it's like being gay out in the world, shopping rainbow capitalism, problems with... uh People in the world. The great things with people in the world. If we talk some more Star Wars. Anyways, it's a longer episode, so I'm going to let you go and get listening to this great conversation. And I'll talk to you as soon as it's over. Bye. I'm glad you brought up the Acolyte. And one of like my favorite parts of Acolyte, honestly, is that there is an S-ton of queer people behind it.
1: Yeah. And I'm well, excited also... for different voices. Uh, Leslie Headland was very adamant about having someone on the trans spectrum be the lead. Um, I remember like, you know, again, so early days when it was mm-hmm. still very much just in that development phase. <clears throat> I remember that being a big deal for her. Yep. Um, and it's so necessary, especially now. But, uh, we, we do need more queer representation, particularly in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, (laughs) I, I was part of a, a employee resource group when I was working at Lucasfilm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we would do is like kind of talk with each other about, you know, different opportunities for queerness and how to like push different, uh, you know, like for how the company is going to celebrate pride month. We would all get really involved and, uh, You know, one of the things that we were able to do was kind of talk as a group with some of the upper executives about things we were disappointed in and opportunities for going forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we, that uh, one of the conversations we were able to have was with like Kathleen Kennedy and Michelle Rejuan and, you know, all of those people. And while some people you know again, rise of Skywalker was very fresh for all of us um so some people were bringing up the kind of uh the the storm pilot finn and Po stuff mm-hmm. which um i I can talk to more in a second, but yeah, one of the things that I wanted to bring up with them. And I, and I was able to i was able to have a conversation with kathleen kennedy and michelle rejwan about it was the you know baiting that there would be queer representation and then it's a kiss between two characters who do have names technically resistance commander uh larma darcy and yeah. and resistance yeah. pilot warobi tice hope i'm pronouncing those correctly because we've never heard their names on screen um Larma Dacey has more lines in last Jedi than she has in rise of Skywalker. And they are never on screen together except for their kiss. Like there are other scenes that they're both in, you know, like the resistance planning things or talking about stuff, but it's like they are on opposite sides of whatever meeting and things like that. And just of like how that is tokenism that is hurtful in its own way. And you know. I
0: oftentimes joke, I call it the shut up kiss because shut up gays, you got it. And I still yeah. feel that the two gay porgs nuzzling up against one another in The Last Jedi are more accurate and is more beautiful representation than the shut up kiss.
1: Because it wasn't asked
0: for, no one brought attention to it. Okay, they're not humans, they're birds, whatever. I <laughs> They're still gay and I'm here for it. But like yeah. the the let's blast off how there's going to be queer rep in this, And then that's what you gave us. You know, if you had said nothing, I think that would have been applauded.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I made that point to them because it's like, yep. uh, it, it was said of like how they were really struggling with how to do it. And with, you know, frankly, that wasn't the story that the writer directors were looking to tell so much. So they were looking at how they could fit something in and didn't really understand the, cause I don't think there's as much of a, conversation broadly, like yes, in queer spaces, on Twitter, Mm -hmm. on things like that, we talk about tokenism in regards to the queer community. But as far as like a national conversation goes, that isn't really there, you know, Um, you know, thinking about like friends I went to high school with, Mm -hmm. when they hear tokenism, they are only going to be thinking in terms of people of color. Yep. And even then, probably more specifically black people and not even thinking about Asian representation or other communities and how tokenism affects them, we, there is a lot more work there that needs to be done. And so, and I think a lot of it is also, I don't think it was so much of a shut up gaze as it was a, I think it was an honest and earnest attempt.
0: Oh, yeah
1: but it was misguided because they didn't have that experience and they didn't know how unseen certain people feel. And I think there's a lot of things like that of, you know, I know of another example where, you know, the creatives were like, with the possibility of queerness for a character, they were like, we understand that it would be important to tell that story, but we don't feel like we're the right people to tell that story. And, in all honesty, I agree, they aren't the right people, but they are the people that could tell a queer story. And that's the tough thing is it's like, when you are in a creative in this space, in these big franchises that have so much noise being shouted back at you, you are going to be shouted at of whether or not you were the right person to tell a queer story, whether you told a queer story well, versus whether you told one at all. Mm -hmm. And it's, i it's tough because it's like yeah we need to demand better but we also have to dial back some of the vitriol and be like okay we understand you tried here's why that didn't work and what we need to do better going forward Mm -hmm. and uh and that is part of what makes leslie headland so exciting is it's like here is a queer woman coming forward and being very deliberate about making sure there is queerness on the screen yep. you know and I, I don't know about the character but i do know that like having a non-binary lead you know someone in the trans spectrum was so important to her i know that that was back and forth talks for like literal years before it was announced yep. so that's what we need more of and we need more of that in other spaces uh, in other parts of the franchise not just this one show that's over here um and i i do think there are there are other things in development that um like in the big uh Disney shareholder announcement video from 2020 Mm -hmm. when you know Rogue Squadron was announced and whether or not that's still happening who knows and like some of these other shows were announced you know um they were I don't know if you remember there were parts that cut out and only investors got to see it's like there, there were a couple other shows that would have some queerness, um, that were in development that were talked about there. And I, I can't say what they were. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, oh, also the pitch reel for Lando looked amazing. Uh, really hope Justin Simeon's able to come back mm-hmm. and do that. Uh, I know there's a lot of scheduling conflicts and a lot of things, but the direction he wants to go, cause a, a pitch reel is, uh, just like a reel of clips and, audio to kind of give a mood for like the vibe. Yep. Um and it was one of the most exciting things I have seen uh really hope the Lando show eventually comes to fruition. Um yeah. that I, I think uh I think Star Wars fans will be really excited if it ever is able to see the light of day. Um That's I great. don't know. It, That's it great. may not, you know, cuz he's busy. Um you know glover's busy like everyone's busy well hey look donald
0: (laughs) mr glover's talking about it again look how long we had to wait for um mr mcgregor to uh (laughs) but he kept it up and he kept it alive and he kept it going and we eventually got it
1: well and i i think again it's part of what's exciting about that is whether or not they lean into the queerness of lando justin simeon is a queer man himself Yep, and that's exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, you know, having queer people tell stories is not the same as telling queer stories. And I think though, queer people telling stories without queer characters is still so important and still changes the way that we tell our stories and what we are allowed to get from them. Can
0: I ask you a question? That is not sure. one of our, our pre-designed questions.
1: <laughs> um, I feel like I've kind of gone off the rails oh, on those no this, is,
0: no, this is so perfect. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, let me, this is not a popular Twitter question, um, I'm sure. And I know... You know, I'm just going to ask this question. Yeah, here, here we go. It's it's not a popular Twitter question, but you mentioned you mentioned two things that I want to circle back to. I think it's important, and I say a shut up kiss, and I do feel that way, and I'm sure that it was well intentioned. I am a person who sees a glass uh, a glass half full kind of person, and I know there were not like back there saying shut up gaze, but it still felt that way to me, and it wasn't the kiss itself; it was the the let's market this just like let's make Green Lantern gay, but he's going to be Green Lantern from some universe that no one cares about. And he's going to be in the background of a pair of a panel or whatever like that. Like, look, if you're going to do that, I think that's amazing. And that's wonderful. Give us something. I think there are ways to give us queer coding and things. And I know queer coding isn't enough, but for me in a thing like star Wars specifically that so much is left untold and to me i say there's so much of a mass that we can put ourselves in i think leaving ambiguity is actually incredibly important um in a lot of media and to not actively take that away to put in these ideas that things could happen and let a fan base latch on to those things we don't I'm never always upset when it comes if it doesn't come to actual like legitimate fruition, but also don't actively take it away. Which I also felt like Zori Bliss was this trying to actively take yes. it away. Which also and, and it, w-
1: it was. She yeah. was an Aunt Harriet, just yeah. like in the the old Batman stuff yep. of like where they were like, "Oh, these these two men living together, we have to we have to put a woman in there to like yep. clarify no homo." Yep, um, Zori but Bliss also straight people. And I, and I brought that up too. Yeah, like, I. I brought that up specifically in that meeting. So I was like, it's again, it's not that the character is bad, or the performance nope. is bad. It's just the you know, you have queer people identifying with one of these characters. And you know, Finn was introduced, asking if Ray had a boyfriend. So it's like, I don't care if we like confirm that Finn is straight. But to go out of your way mm-hmm. with Zori bliss, to really confirm that Poe is straight. And that's what they did because yep. every one yep. of those scenes is also, he is the one romantically chasing her. Yep, She is telling him no, every single scene, except for the kind of ambiguous at the end, you know, yep. it's designed to confirm that Poe is straight and that yep. was insulting. Yep, And, you know, and the kiss wasn't like I, i have those frustrations too because i very much that's why i brought them up yep. with these people because i was yep. like if i have one shot to talk to these people about queerness i'm gonna bring up how like this stuff is hurtful yep i i didn't need finn and poe to get together in rise of skywalker but after those zori bliss scenes i because i you know like i said from force awakens i was like oh well finn's straight who cares and i was kind of very dismissive of all of that mm-hmm. stuff but then when it came to how rise of Skywalker was put together I suddenly became the biggest fan of storm pilot there was yep. um you know during Hard lockdown when Hard all shame. we had was time like I went and re-edited my own version of the sequel trilogy and I took out any reference of romance between yeah. you know Finn and Poe to women yep and I I did my best to kind of reorient some of their uh interactions with female characters to be towards each other like some of uh like finn's or post final moment with zori i edited together with a moment with finn so that way it. it could be more suggested <laughs> for them like i did that's my great. best to do yeah. like because that's the thing it's like you you suddenly feel like you need to make amends for this thing that is you know yep. because it even though it doesn't it's not intended to be it feels like a betrayal. It uh-huh. feels like someone is deliberately trying to harm you. And when we look at the context in which we live, you know, and it's only gotten worse in the years since rise of Skywalker, you know, there are people trying to hurt us. Look you know, how, look how well you crafted people. that
0: without coming right out and saying anything right around. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> no i'm with you i i think until the rise of skywalker i was so excited to have poe be by so their little whole thing of putting Zori there also didn't erase queerness because by poe just raised my energy anyways and i was sure but the
1: the the scenes are designed that way oh no i I think yes we can retcon with publishing (laughs) and if he uh oscar isaac ever returns to the franchise yes we can put queerness yep. there we can make him bisexual we can help retcon those scenes that people were already picking up that queerness but the scenes with zori bliss are designed yes. to oh. say he's straight 100%. not designed to be like oh he could be bi they yep. are very specifically and because that's where it's like i don't want to be saying any bi erasure. it's not that you know yep. it is it's just the way the scenes are structured because it's also trying to create a contrast to his scenes with finn it's trying to recontextualize his scenes with finn to be platonic and show oh if poe was romantically interested this is how he'd act and look how different that is yep and that's what made that so frustrating yep
0: um yep yeah i i i want to circle back to something you were saying too um I think I wish this is, this is my not popular for Twitter question. I, I wish us gays and I'm just going to keep it to gays, um, would also allow straight people to tell queer stories because I do think it's important. Um, queerness is greater than just ourselves and it has an effect on society at large. There are parents with queer children that might still be straight identifying that have an an opinion and a thought on queerness. And I also think that outside of just being queer is also an important perspective to get. I also think on that flip side, I think it's important that we can let queer people tell stories that are not queer specific stories, because we also have a unique version or vision of, of the world and our, our queer lens. We look at everything that way. And I think there's interesting stories and I think it's interesting to hold space for that, that it doesn't always feel we allow people to, to do. And that is also
1: frustrating.
0: And I think it also makes people who are not queer afraid to tell a queer story because they are yeah. so afraid and to mess it up. And that cuts down
1: our representation on a whole other level. I, yep. I very much agree with that. And I think there's also another factor that we keep seeing it ugly head in a slightly different space, but some people who are currently present or identify as cisgender and heterosexual are exploring the fact that they might not be when they try telling queer stories, you know? And so we see a lot of these situations where people are having to out themselves because they're getting called out on Twitter and whatever. That happened with the author of Love, Simon, you know, she, you know, has now come out as bisexual, I believe. And, you know, one of the, I think there, it would be classified as a sequel. It it focuses on the friend that Katherine Langford plays It is all about her, that character exploring her bisexuality. And we have all these examples. And like, when people wanna say that celebrities are queer baiting, it's like, you can't queer bait your life. Like, okay, if you think some fashion is queer, like part of why we are trying to normalize pronouns, why we're trying to, you know, talk about non binary people and get rid of this, like sense of everything needing to be male or female so that non binary people can exist and can flourish. Part of that is also saying, okay, if a straight person wants to explore fashion in a way that isn't codified to even if they still identify as cisgender why should they be bound by that binary if we as queer people are trying to say these binaries are harmful constructs that we should get rid of it's like well then let's get rid of them Mm -hmm. let Uh harry styles dress however the fuck he wants oh sorry i probably shouldn't have said (laughs) Um, or whichever you know celebrity is doing whatever and it's like we gotta stop treating real people as products. You know, it is different mm-hmm. when you have a show like Supernatural that did queerbait. We know that. That is a very textbook example. You know, we and we have several of those across our media landscape where the, the hint of queerness is deliberately all we're going to get, and it's done to sell a product. People aren't products.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if harry styles just to use an easy example yeah is doing things in such a way that will identify with queer audiences to sell his music which is a product that's still not queer baiting because guess what those queer listeners if it's working yep are identifying to his music naturally and with what's there you know no one he's never promised that he is or isn't or whatever and also it's none of our business what he is and isn't yep um all of this kind of speculation and policing of queer expression. All it does is keep some people in the closet and make coming out a more dangerous experience. And to bring that back to film and television, it, things aren't as perfect and easy for people to be out. As you would think there are still there can still be consequences, particularly for actors Mm -hmm. and for people in other disciplines and stuff as well. Like, it's not always easy. Um, you know, and and sometimes you have to be like, I, I try to make a point to kind of find a way to mention early on. I like usually in an interview process or something of like that. I am, you know, gay because, I don't wanna to have to play the game later on, like if that's an issue, just don't give me the job, and let's move on um and it hasn't been an issue for me personally, but yeah. like you know, I've been incredibly lucky in that, you know, and part of that was like, yeah, it wasn't an issue to be gay, getting hired onto uh a Ryan Murphy show, like that's incredibly lucky, but yep. you know <laughs> um, yep that, that isn't going to necessarily be the same for everyone at every studio. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do know that some of the executives at Disney are some that are much more apprehensive to queer things on screen. You know, that's where, um, you know, as Disney does all of the, the pride stuff with star Wars, you know, there are two characters that were at a convention confirmed to be gay that are always noticeably absent. And a big part of that is because they were confirmed to be gay at a convention rather than being approved by Mm. that whole Disney process. Um, And so that's where it's like, you will, I'm, it'll be a long while. I feel like before Disney ever confirms Orca and flicks from resistance are gay. A big part of that is, you know, everyone thinks of Hollywood as being so liberal, so liberal, so liberal. And it's, Yes, for the artists, for the workers, for the people in the grind. Absolutely. For the executives mm-hmm. making a lot of money, mm-hmm. running corporations. Um, they're not in the, whatever they allow to happen, that seems liberal, it is done as a marketing tool. Because, you know, as we've discussed things that are representative of our life experience, we will purchase into that that is not a liberal agenda being pushed that nope. is just basic economics of like oh if we you know the rainbow capitalism of it all which during pride month we and like i'm i i love rainbow capitalism i'll go buy <laughs> whatever. <laughs> i've been looking around it's like where can i find the you know uh gap had a keith herring shirt and i was like oh Sold out before I found it, yep. <laughs> it was yep. like it looked good and stuff, and I was like, I'm all about it. But that isn't liberal in and of itself. Nope. And so you do have people who believe like queerness shouldn't be for kids. You do have people who believe these things and are in positions of power who can, you know, block it, and.
0: Yep. and
1: so, yeah, I, I think beyond that convention reveal, uh, which created a lot of controversy and tumultuousness, um, with Orca and flicks, I don't think they will ever be officially confirmed as queer, mm. um, which sucks. But if, if anyone's ever wondering why, like, that's why is it's a corporation who has a lot of conservative people at the top. Yep. And you know, again, it's, there's just so many people involved in everything. Yep. Um, yeah. You know,
0: I do think, I mean, we end up every year talking about rainbow capitalism. And again, like, I mean, I'm not joking our like, and this is, you know, we're just a, a, a little podcast in, in a big pond. Right. But like, our numbers, our numbers double every single June. Every June, some people might take a lot of offense to that. Maybe this is my age speaking, and I've said this before, but there, there was a time when I was in my twenties that like being gay was so absolutely horrible. There was no such thing as rainbow capitalism. Like it was so hated that it wasn't even there. And there's a part of me that I'm like, hey, at least I'm valued in some way. Like it's not perfect, but like at least it's being talked about and, and yeah, that conversation. And I think those things happening, Disney selling an S ton of like pride merch eventually is going to make those people at the top soften to the idea of the whole thing. Like over time, hopefully, you know what I mean? Like, yeah,
1: well, and that it's, it is multifaceted. Um, Like I, I have, three examples and i'll work back closer to more relevant yeah as i go but um i remember working at andrew christian and uh it's a brand for anyone who doesn't know uh largely associated with uh twinks with um trophy boys they even have a line called trophy boy um and just kind of and often also uh, sex workers between people stripping or, um, they've done a lot of deals for models who are, uh, pornography performers or, uh, you know, it also have done sponsorships to where when clothes are being stripped off and porn that it's Andrew Christian underwear that's getting stripped off. Yep. Um, and it has a fairly negative reputation, especially with people with diverse body shapes and things like that and one thing i realized working there is a lot of that negative reception and perception is largely from large cities with other queer brands and with other queer spaces Mm. whereas their popularity skyrockets in places where there isn't a lot of uh, public queerness around you know like in the midwest where it's like you don't have a gay store or a gay bar for several several miles that's where it's so popular and it's there's a difference between being someone in a space where you can be outwardly queer and you can be vocal about what you want and what is representative to you and then someone being in a space that is not and having to do the best you can with what you got and trying to find some connection to those larger queer spaces and queer products and queer things. And that's where I think a lot of this rainbow capitalism has value yep. is we got to sometimes like, okay, yes, our big metropolitan cities and our Twitter spaces like, yes, we have safe queer spaces and products that are better. Um, but because Andrew Christian so permeates these other spaces it's a well known brand for someone who's out in the middle of nowhere, who can't express their queerness safely through other means can in the in a really small way, and maybe a silly way, you know, uh, but that that has value. Uh, And it does help change things, you know, for as poorly as I think, Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch handled Dylan Mulvaney, that the reason why it was such an uproar is because normalizing a queer person, a trans woman, just drinking a. This is the other funny thing about the whole Bud Light thing is Bud Light yeah. is so disgusting, <laughs> <laughs> but just normalizing them drinking a beer had an uproar because you know, conservative people, um, people in uh, high funk or high control religious spaces, they don't want it to be normal. Mm -hmm. That's why we have textbook bans. That's why we have all of this craziness going on, bans on healthcare and things like that. It's, they want to make it abnormal, Mm -hmm. but rainbow capitalism, that's its, that's its strength. And no, I don't think it's this liberal thing. It's not. Nope. (laughs) It's, it's just trying to sell more product, but that's, that has value. Yep. Um, and then before I completely lose track, what was the last thing I was going to say on that? Oh my God. I'm so sorry. No, you're good. Um, Oh, I, with watching different shows and I ever watch a lot of queer shows and movies and things like that, I realized that there's something that is insanely important for like more younger generations and, uh, newer people to coming out. That's so valuable for them mm-hmm. that I, I struggle with more and more. And some of that is the, you know, it's, I love that it's being mocked in the first couple episodes of the, the other two's newest season, but, uh, that kind of twee young, queer story. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking Love, Simon, Heartstopper. uh, And even uh, to a degree, Schitt's Creek, where you have these beautifully tender coming out stories where everything goes right. And that that seems so lovely. But it is not my life experience. And there there is a degree where it starts to become for me personally, like, as an individual, a little annoying, like, I don't like those scenes anymore. Yep. Um, because that is so antithetical to my experience. Um, you know, and, and it's difficult to watch those, but they have value. Mm-hmm. It like, I won't lie. it It's cathartic watching some of them sometimes, yep. but it's also infuriating at other times because I do think there has become a those stories are important to queer people and i think the way love simon handled it with uh specifically how afraid he was to come out despite knowing coming out would go over fine with his friends and family i think that story is important for Mm -hmm. straight people to see but these other stories i hate that straight people see them I, i i do not like that straight people see like oh see everything's fine no one has a problem with gay people anymore you have gay marriage it's all fine and it creates a complacency that yep. allows all that's been happening over the past couple of years to happen you know last year when uh roe v wade was overturned we had a supreme court justice literally say I want to overturn Obergefell which is gay marriage Mm. and Mm. um also loving which is interracial marriage uh for any non-queer people who showed up here and got through this (laughs) um but they also said Lawrence v Texas which is what decriminalized homosexuality across the country like if that does get overturned like they said they want to there are i think there's still 13 states where it would immediately become illegal to be gay Mm -hmm. overnight and i don't think people are taking that seriously and they're not looking around at uh the transphobic panic and gender critical movement or turfs or whatever we want to call them but they're not taking it seriously because they're like oh but like you know it's all from a a reasonable place it's like no no drag show is sexualizing your children I'm sorry it's just not happening it's it's (laughs) in and and no one can ever come up with an example because it's not about reality it's about fear-mongering and you know I mean that's part of where you know uh, my partner and I have been together several years but it's like the the uh the ceremony of marriage and the like tradition of it all wasn't as important to us but then as we were like looking Mm. at like logistics of you know for financial things and for you know also realistically if we ever do need to leave the country like it will be a lot easier if we are married and we may not have an opportunity to do that for too much longer um you know that that was part of what kind of instigated the like, well, maybe we should start talking about this a little bit more seriously, (laughs) you know, Oh, because before then it was like, Oh, it's just a piece of paper. What's the difference? You know, we're together. We know we love each other, but you know, that, that started to change things.
0: I appreciate you bringing this up and I know we're running a little long, but (laughs) I think this is such an important conversation because at least the way I look at it, Like, I always wonder if there isn't some sort of embedded inner homophobia attached to some of these things about marriage. Like, we pretend like it doesn't matter. And because I can speak to that 100%. You know, my husband and I have been, we're almost at 16 years together. And we didn't get married. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We didn't get married for a very long time because joke I mean everything I say is half jokes anyways it was like you know I didn't want to run out and get married the day that it became legal because I didn't want to have the same wedding date as everybody else but I also understood politically it was a really big statement and we had already had everything set up that as as best as we could right but then we we were being certified to adopt and then our first child moved in with us. And all of a sudden it became about the practicality of the thing. And I joked that we were married within under four minutes. We're in and out of this place and it didn't matter anything to me. And I can't help but wonder if there's something like I didn't need it anymore because it was, it was honestly, I'm going to be 44 here soon. Like there was a big chunk of my life that I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. And yeah. I just kind of accepted that I'm not, I fought for it all the time, but I was always felt like I was not fighting for me. I was fighting for who was coming after me because I wasn't going to get it. And then, and then it happened And both Tom and I were like, I don't know if this matters that much to us, but now it's about like, we want to make sure that uh, as, as we adopt our children, we all have the same last name for legal purposes and like when when roe v wade was overturned and it's really scary it is so scary to live this idea that what if it's taken away you know like and for me i can only speak for myself and for tom like well who cares for us but what does that mean for our kids like literally what would happen there are so many things that we got married to tie that all together then now what if it becomes undone, what happens? And and when people roll their eyes or blow it off, that it doesn't matter. I'm like, well, you're really lucky that it doesn't need to matter to you.
1: Well, and <laughs> not only that, but I think it's also very naive because if we want to go back, <clears throat> what, 90 years? Mm-hmm. The most queer-affirming place uh, uh I almost want to say in the world but specifically in the west was berlin mm-hmm. like that it was the spot mm-hmm. and then very similar strategies brought very similarly aligned political people into power yep. and the first book burning by the nazis was a queer library and research center that performed trans-affirming health care and like, the amount of knowledge and research that we lost in that time, uh, it, it's, it, it's heartbreaking and astounding. But we are in a similar moment. Like, it is a very, like, I very much hope that these things don't happen. Yep. But it's hard not to say, okay, well, there is a pattern happening uh, throughout Europe throughout the United States um a little bit in Canada a little bit in Australia but of a nationalist movement that is largely white nationalist Mm -hmm. and it's gaining traction in ways that is shocking and hopefully on the downfall and because no one should want that you know it's it's easy for some to think oh, well, if I align with them, I'll be the exception. And, you know, whether you want to say that about the LGB without the T crowd, or Mm -hmm. conservative women, or uh, conservative people of color. It's not true. It's not going to go that way. Uh, Again, we have precedent, we know what happened the last time a movement like this really got traction, you know, the people who burned down the Hirschfield Center uh, was the SA a group that uh predated the SS yep. and they were led by a gay man and part of how Hitler was able to um you know excuse murdering them all in, in the Night of the Long Knives a very famous mm-hmm. actually took place over like three days but he like murdered all of them he had them all killed and he was able to excuse it by saying well they were gay Mm -hmm. no the reality was he they are the ones who got him that power they were the first military group that he was able to use and he feared that they would turn on him but the homophobia and transphobia it it, it all is tied together nope it's across the board um and yeah, and it's like, and that's where it's like, we're already seeing the, the anti-woke laws in Florida are now being used to get rid of Holocaust education. And it's only going to get worse unless we like collectively do something about it.
0: Yep. You know, I think I agree. I think, I don't know. I mean, I say this all the time, but like from my experience, I feel like I'm in 1998 all over again, you know. And I didn't think I. I I, I think. I, maybe I, I'm. I you know I love my friend Chase so much, and Chase is not young, but they are still in their twenties. And I know, you know, they're dealing. They had their panel this year, Star Celebration, the drag panel that. Yeah, caused way too much trash, and we would speak a lot about it, you know, off, off, offline or whatever. And I feel like I was so heartbroken for them because I feel like I've become numb to it because I grew up in that in that environment. I'm hardened to it, and I'm trained at emotionally combating it. I don't know if it's healthy training or not, but I, (laughs) but I'm trained at it, you know? Yeah. And this was really their first brush with something that big. And it was awful. It was so awful.
1: And it sucks because, you know, I think if it was a different queer expression, it may not have been the same degree, but yeah. Drag and trans drag performers and trans people um, are right now a target. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so heartbreaking for so many reasons. And I think it's also difficult that so much expectation is for the people of those communities to be the ones talking about it and to be the ones in the biggest part of that fight. And I know for at least me, you know, I, I have a very conservative Christian family and upbringing. Uh, I was closeted until I was 26. Um, I'm 32 now. So that was yeah. like early 2017. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's still like I still remember so many little things that made queerness so scary for me growing up. Like, I absolutely remember the Matthew Shepard situation. Mm-hmm. And I also remember that like no one around me would talk about it. It's like you hear some of the grisly details of like you know the the man who found him uh thought he was a halloween decoration at first like just a really gruesome halloween decoration like that's the level of and i i've never seen i don't think they've ever released images of what happened to him uh but it's like you hear these horrifying things and i was like six or seven at the time mm-hmm. and it's like and then no one talks about it. and No, everyone's just fine with it. Yep. You know, you know, you'll, you'll have your parents pull you over on the side of the road to tell you like about the Monica Lewinsky situation and how like, you know, if a, ma- if a man's wife can't trust you, no one can trust you. And then they go yep. for Donald Trump, you know, however many years later. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I remember like, there were just other random things. You know, I remember, uh, my dad one time who he's liberal and he he's queer affirming and so it's like this is one of those like things of where he didn't mean it the way that it came out Mm -hmm. but i I remember we were just watching a movie this is like like i was i don't know like i was was an adult by this time like in my early 20s and you know he like pauses it and he turns to me and he was like you know when you were little we always thought you were gay because it was so easy to hurt your feelings and i was like the fuck is that supposed to mean <laughs> what what does that have to do with the princess bride <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know you, you just have all these weird things that codify intentional or other again this was i've later found out like this was him trying to open up for me but it's like but was not helpful (laughs) um but it's like there's so many things that yes do create that harmful environment and I'm while I'm so excited for the younger generation who can you know grow up with a lot of that baggage just not there this is again kind of where I was talking about with some of this media of like we do still need some media that talks about the way things were we Mm. do need some things to still kind of or even just bring back the media that already exists. Cause there is a lot out there, but it's really hard to get, Yep. you know, um, there's a movie that, and this is going to be my third time saying the word. So I apologize if you have to leave like, <laughs> this out or something, but there's a movie called totally fucked up by Greg Araki, yeah. and it was released on DVD like once 20 years ago and to get a copy of it, I had to like spend $80 for yep. this shitty DVD from 20 years ago. Yep. And, you know, I, I think a lot of his movies are now being, you know, uh, remastered and re-released, you know, they just did the doom generation director's cut, uh, put it back in theaters and that'll hopefully be on a disc soonish. I don't yeah. know. I hope so. Um, but it's like, we need that stuff. We need as queer people to really look at our own queer history and the queer expression, you know, I think the way that, uh, you There have been films released on disc, you know, a lot from uh, Altered Innocence and Vinegar Syndrome and uh, Agfa has even put out some that are putting these old films from like the early 70s and stuff even um, out there that we really should as queer people look at for a history of queer media and to understand like the relationship of like, yes, pornography has always been a part of queer media. And if you look at those older films, you'll see like the reason why they had a story and were also pornographic is cause a lot of these filmmakers couldn't get funding unless it was, they couldn't get funding for just a queer story and they couldn't get funding for just queer porn. But yep. if it was both, they could just get enough to scrape by. And that's an important part of our history, you yep. know, knowing like how like queer coding, that word means something from the Hayes code you know, it's important to look at the pre-code movies and how queer they were, how unabashedly and openly queer they were. And then how it shut down and how we coded characters. It's all so important. You know, the first Academy award-winning film Mm -hmm. was a, you know, it, it was right at the cusp of the code starting to be implemented, but the story is about two soldiers who, uh, are competing for the affection of a third character, a woman, but and it's a World War One film. It's got it's amazing technically as well. I mean, but it is like a two and a half hour silent film, so it, it might be a struggle to watch for some <laughs> modern audiences. And yes, it's also in black and white. Um, uh, it's called Wings, but it does feature the first on screen male male kiss and. You know it's from like 1928 we're almost at a century ago but because from you know the early 30s onward you know until it was i think like it was strictly enforced from like 32 33 to 68 is when the code was abolished and uh it, but it's important to have all of that and to really know how we tell stories and uh sorry i feel like no I love really a little bit but uh That's and then great. also too you know like we were talking about earlier like give some grace for films that aren't perfect you yep. know one of the first big queer movies to be released across the country was based on a wildly successful and acclaimed stage play from two years before but and it was called the boys in the band it was remade a couple years ago by Ryan Murphy and it's fascinating to look at like the play was written and released in 68. Right. And it was acclaimed for being so accurately representative, particularly of, you know, um, upper middle-class gay men in New York City. And then by the time the film comes out, it's 1970. And we're now after Stonewall. And that's no longer the image we want to show as queer people. But I think it's still also important to look at, again, from a historical perspective, you know same thing happened with the same straight director 10 years later with cruising where it was like telling something loosely based on a true story um uh cruising is a great movie about internalized homophobia and ambiguity and all this stuff but it was so focused on the leather community and the BDSM community and also was a slasher with gay men being killed right and left it was you know you know, hailed as uh what we'd now call problematic and you know it was uh, so boycott at the time by people who were like this isn't the image we want to send out into the world that they had to like replace almost all the dialogue from the film because there were just people shouting outside filming the entire film um but yeah we just we got to keep a big connection to all of it and uh it i mean a lot of it is lost and oh yeah people... especially the silent era Almost yep. the entire silent era is lost
0: and you know the 80s we lost a lot of people that were oh, the harbingers of such history
1: um you know and I just, just heartbreaking I... films I've seen is uh it's called Buddies it was the first film to depict AIDS and uh I had the realization like midway through watching it of like oh they this isn't makeup in the film and uh that that was really hard to come to that realization mid film of just like, "Oh, oh, like knowing that the cast members, the director were all dying of AIDS while yep. making this film, that's a very beautiful portrait of that time period, and I think still maybe stronger than some of the films that have been made since, yep, um, yeah, sorry, <laughs>
0: no, I think I, I I mean all this stuff is. It's just so incredibly important and film, television stories. This is why, you know, this is why they're important. This is how a lot of people learn their history that isn't going to be taught in school or, and honestly, I have zero hope that queerness is ever going to be taught in school because queerness is so much entwined with sex i don't I, it isn't, I, you it know isn't, though. i it's don't like, yeah
1: yeah I, it's a tough one i think i think there is a way to have a conversation about it that's appropriate i think oh
0: i don't mean like i personally think it's that way but the way that like <laughs> no, society yeah. puts it is like this really complicated mess and, well, and I, think I just don't see society also, changing
1: i i unfortunately i, do. I hope good good. <laughs> and and I, I largely, again, would compare that to other marginalized groups, you know, mm. uh, particularly with race. Like when you think about the way that race was taught before and after the 60s, you know, and all of the stereotypes that were still so prevalent and uh, the dehumanizing aspect of all of that. And yeah, it, once you dismantle that stuff, and you start actually talking about it in a much more factual way, and it's mm-hmm. like also the sexuality aspect. We have puberty conversations in schools, like starting in late elementary. I want to say, like what fifth grade, fourth grade, somewhere in there. We and don't have
0: like, them here anymore. That doesn't oh, well. exist in school.
1: <laughs> it's just, but pretty, that's the thing, though, is it's like, in, we need those conversations mm-hmm. for the same reason that like young women and uh young men who have maybe not transitioned yet need to learn about you know menstruation like that's important like i can't imagine how terrifying it would be for uh someone to start menstruating and have no idea what it is yep you know i from growing up in very conservative christian spaces like i've known women who had the the sex talk from their parents on their wedding day um and it's horrifying it's okay to to hear some of these things from a very neutral and just like you know what everyone's attracted you've had a crush before right this is kind of what it is where it comes from you might have a crush this way you might have a crush that way yep it's fine
0: (laughs) you know honestly (laughs) this is why to Rainbow capitalism almost is important because there are so many people who grow up in those kinds of societies and cultures and in those families that buying a shirt at a Walmart might be your only way to get it. Maybe it's buying that pair of problematic Andrew (laughs) Christensen (laughs) underwear, but you get to feel that way. You know, like, and, and I agree, like you mentioned this earlier, there is this policing going on again Of in in online spaces specifically, because (laughs) of this is how queer you need to be, and you need to show it this way, and then comes the onslaught of guilt laid on you if you don't, because look at all of these other people. You know, again, Mm -hmm. I can only speak from my experience, but like I know my little my little I get so much nastiness. Not just from straight people, not just from the straight people saying I'm too gay and how is this, but also from a whole ton of queer people of like, I'm not gay enough and I sell out and I don't do this or I don't do that. And, you know, it's just like
1: we could have a full on conversation. And if you ever want to, I'd be open to it. But uh, like of the way that a lot of people in these queer communities do reject media that isn't perfect or isn't representative to them specifically. Like even my, you know, like I said, I have sometimes a instinctual, like uh, knee jerk reaction. I know other people do too, to like the things like heartstopper or whatever, even though I, I do like the show and I've watched the show multiple times, but like, I also know people who, uh, you know, looking comes back into the Twitter discourse every now and again. And it's yeah. like, Oh, but it wasn't perfect in this way or that way and whatever. And it wasn't this, it wasn't that. And it wasn't, it's like, okay, but it was something. And I'm not saying it has to be your cup of tea. But again, with the capitalism and it all with these companies, it's like, yeah, by by letting movies like strange world and bros fail, while that may not be the queer movie you want to see, it is also telling studios that you don't want to see other queer movies. Mm -hmm. And it sucks to have a conversation that shallow and that blunt, but that's how capitalism works. And Mm -hmm. the fact is with film and television, it is not just art, it is also commerce. And that's part of what makes when you have a brilliantly artistic film succeed and get seen by so many people. That's part of the magic is it's like, oh, this was able to overcome the worst obstacles and still be something so special. And you know, I would say that about yeah, everything everywhere all at once last year or uh yeah i still feel that way about last jedi even though it's not on necessarily queer terms but like that film is very artistic to me in ways that it's when you think about the way that most blockbusters are made it's insane that the last jedi was able to be made mm-hmm. it took some big swings and yeah it upset a lot of people but i am so tired of safe media i think <laughs> um you know like i just i i'm so tired of it i'm so tired of like you know we we have people online like wanting the the haze code back and i'm like why <laughs> it was yep. awful to all of us yeah uh, and it was so boring like i i, I don't know I, w- I want weird stuff you know I, your last question for me is well, like what do i want to see from the future of star yep. wars and it's, I, I want weird <laughs> i want things that i've never thought about before you know i want things to go off in different directions i when i think about what was exciting about star wars legends uh the old eu like the things that excite me most are not the things that everyone else is excited about like yes thrawn is great mara jade is fun i love the weird stuff where you you know um looking for an easy example like jackson jackson shouldn't work he's a bugs bunny ripoff who's green (laughs) in space doing the duck Dodgers thing but then interacting with like Luke and Leia it's weird it's it, it doesn't always work you know I one of my easiest examples to throw at people who are like oh we should have kept the old EU is the the uh there was this book series when I was in elementary uh I forgot what the overarching title was but it was all about there was a tricop cloptic Imperial oh, officer yeah oh god who yep. squeezed a fruit while like while wearing the glove of Darth Vader so that he could get force lightning powers to help him hunt down the royal prince of the jedi while and then he who gets under the protection of Luke who is being hunted down by Jabba the Hutt's mom for revenge <laughs> these books are terrible <laughs> but they sparked my imagination in a way that so little of newer Franchises or spin off material or uh, ancillary media has. Like, because it was just so weird. Yep. It was different. And it was just so deliberately going against what you might expect otherwise. And yep. no, I haven't reread those books. I would be terrified to. I don't <laughs> think they will hold up. I want to remember them <laughs> as being great books. <laughs> well, no, it, it's I don't even remember them as being great, but yeah. I remember them being as they sparked my imagination, which is what you want for, you know, early elementary, like six, five, however old I was. Yep. Like that has value. You know, I think we've gotten such an aversion for, especially in kids media for like things that are scary. Like kids media used to be scary.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I
1: remember an annoyance I had working on the bad batch was, you know, here in clone wars, they're allowed to use lasers but in the Bad Batch, they use stunners. And, mm. you know, I think maybe towards the end of season two, they started to change that up a little bit more. But, and it was, it, part of my frustration was like, you know, all the Gen Xers who are making these decisions and being like, oh, well, we got to take care of, you know, we got you can't make things too scary for the kids. You know, they're, they're killing people. And it's like, well, they all grew up on the, well, we have to use lasers instead of bullets generation. And it's like, okay, yep. but like, at what point is the stunners too much because like oh he got stunned and then like fell it's like okay but yeah this is a fantasy story none of it's real there do you not see these people's cheekbones like it's not real (laughs) (laughs) Um, Christopher Lee's head is not two feet tall
0: (laughs) and that's oh (laughs) oh Hold on one second. I want we have to get back to that one sec. I hear a child. One moment, sorry. Okay. sorry. I'm so sorry <laughs> no worries. i'm single daddying it right now and i heard a fight over a remote control and i didn't want it <laughs> to get on here um yeah, yeah yeah uh yeah speaking of speaking of uh darth sidious's or not darth sidious darth Tyrannus count dooku's two-foot head you know i think the future of star wars needs to go back to the weird and unexpected i oftentimes think about i love the last jedi i don't know if i love the last jedi being the middle chapter of what became the sequel trilogy i think it would have been amazing if that was the first one um yeah. because i love that it just completely challenged us, challenged us just like the prequels challenged cool. us to sours fans
1: it and the mandovers are both different um variations on closer to what george was hoping to do with the sequel trilogy which is really interesting in its own way of you know yeah so it's but it also is very much yeah challenging expectations throwing out the the rule book i think that's what's important is you know more queer characters and then also yeah do something weird like uh remember in the Star Wars the, the one part of the Star Wars holiday special that everyone can watch, the, the Boba Fett mm-hmm. uh the what is it? Wookiee Faithful Wookiee? Yeah, or something? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. they call that cartoon now. But like they're they're it's like a liquid, but it's like a gelatinous pink liquid from, on the surface of the planet. Like more of that. Mm-hmm. More you know, yeah, Boba Fett wrote a Rancor, but that's not as cool as riding a dinosaur through, you know whatever that pink, goo pink was. Goos. yep <laughs> you yeah know, like, you know
0: I think in order to get that stuff Star Wars fans are going to have to just cool it a bit yeah. like
1: well yeah I, I mean there I think it really needs to be something that is off the beaten path but it's like get back to that sense of wonder get back mm-hmm. to we shouldn't want things that are realistic I think that has become a I think at one point in time it was a valuable commodity but we have to get back to wanting things that are just imaginative and creative and like you know we see an old like sci-fi art from you know the mid-century of like where planets are only 10 feet away from each other you know like we got to get back to the weird and the the impossible to really let our imaginations go out star wars is not science fiction it is not meant to explore scientific concepts and how they can impact our actual real society. It is fantasy. Mm -hmm. It is supposed to be fantasy. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it is wizards and you know, it is monsters and it is magic. It is not. And that, that's the big difference with star Trek. You know, star Trek is science fiction Yep. and they're very different genres and that's why they are so different to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say Dune sits in between a little bit more because Dune is a lot more about the mechanics of how this society functions under these circumstances. But that's not what star Wars is. And that's not what star Wars is supposed to be. Yep. You know, it's supposed to be much more about the, you're in a crazy situation. How do you interact with the world? Like it's much more about the internal journey than the external, you know, yep. science fiction is more about the external exploring concepts on a very uh almost like removed point of view yep you know and that goes all the way back to Frankenstein and you know you can argue maybe it goes back further to some of the mythological stories and stuff but I think the format for the genre really is Frankenstein is science fiction and then Star Wars plays out like fantasy like mythology like King Arthur and it's you know let it be weird yep let you know it's trying to make things realistic i feel like has always been the thing that hurts star wars you know like worrying about like oh well gravity wouldn't work that way well like sound doesn't travel in space either (laughs) yeah fire can't exist in a vacuum either so like those death star explosions you know yep it's not supposed to be that way it's much more about what it symbolically means than literally means and yep that should always be the drive you know and even with andor which is arguably the most realistic star wars it's still about what things symbolically mean Mm -hmm. and it's very rooted to that you know mythological way of telling a story even Mm -hmm. though it's so speaking to our current uh socio-political context Mm -hmm. and uh I, i think that's what makes andor so exciting to me much more so like I love Rogue one as a you know Ragnarok style you know fighting the good fight even though you know you're going to lose yep and that sacrifice and stuff and while I don't necessarily think there's a better version of the movie out there I would be so curious to see some of the other things to Mm. like see them trying to get the plans off by like trying to get them to a ship because that was one of the earlier concepts was like they were running out of the tower and across the beach and I, I think that story has a lot of fun and intrigue to it. Um I, I sadly think the biggest problem with the film is that Jin should not be the protagonist. She's a very passive protagonist. Yep. She's reacting to the story around her rather than, you know, Cassian is the active protagonist of that story, but he's not allowed to be the main character. Yep. Um and it, it's not about gender, cause like really make Cassian a woman. I don't care. Yep. Um like <laughs> but it's like the the lack of active protagonist is what hurts that movie a little bit for me even though I think it's one of the most visually stunning we have and again I love the themes in that film but uh, yeah just I want weird I want crazy different new things that don't follow the pre-established rules you know I would love more exploration of like force things that are not Jedi not Sith, and you know I think mm-hmm. the only binary of the force you know I think we should always go back to it's not about like what powers are light side or dark side because it, it it shouldn't function like a tabletop game you know it's <laughs> um yeah you, you know what I mean like yeah, it, it uh, shouldn't be that it should be you know George explained it as you know the light side is selfless and the dark side is selfish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people are like, Oh, well, you can still have grayness between that. And it's like, not not really, if you're doing something for yourself, and like, it incidentally helps others as well, that is still selfish. Nope. And the nature of some of these powers and abilities are going to be more inclined to be selfish in nature or selfless in nature. And I think that's really the only primary rule with the Force that should ever be followed. Everything else, get weird, do crazy things. Um, And yeah, just make it fun. I agree.
0: Yep. I think. But also,
1: like, tell a good story. Like, a a three act film structure is not the worst idea on the planet. (laughs) It's much better than a a, a new story every five minutes as we search for MacGuffin to MacGuffin to MacGuffin. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> like having that little painting nail emoji. Um, yeah, no, Sorry. I think, no, love it.
0: Um, yeah, I think I, I love that. Star Wars is just so much about reacting. I mean, the dude is the creator is a anti authoritarian '60s child, and so much of Star Wars is to how to rebel against the society and culture around you also meanwhile being a good person at the end of all of yeah. those things and and i love when Star Wars gets into a uh, tabletop game but in the fandom i don't like i don't, I don't want to see games. yeah i don't want I to don't see don't that in a movie
1: want the narratives to function that
0: no way. 100 exactly like leave the narratives simple enough so we can put all of that stuff in there ourselves like i think i think so much of my favorite star wars is to like have a skeleton underneath a helmet let let your audience put put the meat on the bones ourselves and let's oh yeah that is like for me that is something that um I feel has been missing in Star Wars talk if that makes sense yeah and I think for you know like there is no And this goes back to like what we were saying earlier, like let writers tell stories they want to tell. They might fumble here or there, but there's sometimes beauty and and lessons learned in the fumbleness of it all. And that is also history being made. And that's how progress happens and all of that stuff
1: and and enjoy the
0: conversation.
1: Yep. Yeah. Because, and this is where like earlier talking about reshoots, like part of why reshoots exist is because something can work beautifully on the page and not work when you see it, in person and like it, it like physically like mm. an easy example is uh twilight and I'm, i've got to go here soon but yeah. uh twilight in the novel when you read the way she describes edward like sparkling or whatever it is like there is like a it lulls you in and it's like okay i get it but then you like see it with your eyes and you're like what's happening <laughs> um and that's not to diminish either one I think you know like I to me the first Twilight film is a fascinating exploration of like a literalist adaptation is maybe not the best and uh I recently I I was watching the documentary about Howard Ashman you know uh, because the the Little Mermaid coming Mm -hmm. out and all that stuff uh and one of the things that he said he was talking about adapting um material for the stage and then also from the stage to film and he came up with my favorite definition of adaptation and he was like it's like telling a friend about something that you love and all the things you loved about it oh. it's not worrying about getting all the things perfect and all the whatever it's just about focusing on those ele- those core elements that spoke to you yep. and that's why i think you know things can be put on stage multiple times i think that's why I, remakes do have value um and not not speaking to any specific remakes but just like in general um but yeah i I think that should be the bigger focus of as more people and yeah any sequel spin-off whatever with star wars is an adaptation of that core Mm -hmm. idea from the original trilogy you know the, the sequels always get put as adapted screenplay because that's what they are they're adapting the first idea uh into something new and i think that should go back to being the focus of how Ooh, I like both that. we making these things and as fans interact with it of like this is this what speaks to this person about it mm-hmm. and if something doesn't work for you or for them or whatever um that's okay yep i you know but it's we gotta we got to remember that there are people on both sides of this, you know, the, like if you were to count the names in the credits mm-hmm. and then remember, there are contracts that require certain credits to be in the, the film or the show. And that oftentimes there are several, several, several more people who are not credited yep. because they weren't contracted to be, um, especially with TV. Yep. A lot of people aren't contract or don't have to be credited in TV. Um, and It's just like, yeah. There's just so many. So many
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm here for it. Um, thank you very, very, very much. I appreciate of it. this. This is a great conversation. Um, <laughs> way more in depth of how things work than I think we've ever gotten. So that's, oh, exciting. <laughs> that's very, very, very exciting. All right, my friend. Where can where can people find you if you want them to find you?
1: Uh, I don't have. A lot going on on social media right now, um, I do have a Twitter and it's just uh, my name, uh, but without the space between them. Uh, I think I went on private so that I would uh, comment on bigoted posts less and just block them. But, um, you know, if you if you request to follow and like stuff. Yeah, I might you know i might let you follow and follow you back and whatever you know yeah. i definitely like talking about all the fandom stuff online yep uh yeah you and, and i have some fun conversations <laughs> but,
0: yeah uh the old internet the old
1: social hey. media
0: all right <laughs> well until next time hopefully you'll come back and we can uh we i we need to talk about the last jedi together
1: oh yeah I just I, there. I have so many opinions about the sequel trilogy in good ways and in bad ways and all of it. I <laughs> love it.
0: I'm here for it. My relationship with the sequel trilogy is an interesting relationship. And um, I think so many of us do. So I think there's so much perspective to gain from that. So
1: yeah. Well, until next time, I think I'm the only one who thinks, uh, and I'll, I'll end on this force awakens is my least favorite of all the star Wars films. And I think I might be alone oh. in that, but Yeah. I like it. I <laughs> so it was a tease if we ever want to come back to that topic.
0: <laughs> and I'm back. Thank you Jake. That was such a wonderful conversation. It was so lovely speaking to another creative professional. Although your creative profession I think is a whole lot more fun than mine at least as of right now. Who knows where the future will go? But it was also really great to speak to someone about representation and rainbow capitalism in the same way that I do, because um, there's not always a lot of me out there. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Hopefully you understood where we were coming from. Let's have a dialogue, people. Let's have a dialogue. I'm so excited for the next two episodes. It's another two-parter, two-parter. This dude right here can talk. And uh, we're going to hang out with my friend Kay Anderson from the podcast Lost Spaces. Check that podcast out to get yourself prepared. I was on that show once. Our old friend Mark, formerly of Pink Milk, was on that show once. So find us. Listen to it. Get to know Kay. Thank you again, Jake. And until next time, my
1: friends, let's drink up.